Welcome to Head & Neck Innovations, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals exploring the latest innovations, discoveries, and surgical advances in otolaryngology head and neck surgery. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Head & Neck Innovations. I'm your host, Paul Bryson, director of the Cleveland Clinic Voice Center. You can follow me on Twitter at Paul C. Bryson. And you can get the latest updates from Cleveland Clinic Otolaryngology Head and Neck Surgery by following at Clee Clinic H&I. That's C-L-E Clinic H&I. Today, I'm excited to talk with Dr. Patrick Byrne, a facial plastic and reconstructive surgeon and chairman of the Head and Neck Institute. You can follow him on Twitter and across many social media channels at PJ Byrne MD. That's at P-J-B-Y-R-N-E-M-D. Dr. Byrne, welcome to Head & Neck Innovations. Thank you very much, Paul. It's great to be here. Well, let's start by having you share some of your background to our listeners, where you're from, where you trained, how you've come to Cleveland Clinic, and uh, what you've been up to. So I'm from California and did all of my training, was born and raised there, and went to UC San Diego for medical school and residency, then did my fellowship in the Midwest in Minnesota, Uh, And I spent my first uh, almost two decades at Johns Hopkins, where I've always focused on facial plastic and reconstructive surgery and got involved in a variety of interesting things there and and had a wonderful number of years there. And and in 2020, I came to Cleveland Clinic to serve as chair of the Head and Neck Institute. You know, uh, from your prior work in rehabilitation of facial paralysis, I understand there's been quite a bit of exciting developments, surgical innovation. Can you give the listener some more information and updates on your team's recent publication on the trivector gracilis flap procedure? I, yeah, and I, and I can give you some a little sort of anecdote to share what's amazing about facial paralysis treatment is really just how much has changed over the past 20 years. I had this experience as a resident where I attended this full-day symposium on every aspect of facial plastic surgery. Uh, and it was like 10 different speakers, and it was so exciting as a junior resident. You know, I was psyched, thinking, ah, that's what I want to do. And maybe 15 or so years later, I was one of the lecturers at that same annual symposium. And so I sat in, and most of the topics were the exact same lectures that I had heard 15 years before. And that's not, you know, a criticism of any other niche subspecialty. It's just, you know, often things don't change a whole lot in surgical disciplines. But the facial paralysis one was totally different because it's changing incredibly rapidly. So, you know, the brief story of the trivector is we've realized for many years now that we can reanimate a face that's been paralyzed for a long time uh, by taking muscle from the leg, the gracilis muscle, and reanimate it and, and connecting the vessels and the nerves and, and it, can, it can wake up. What we've been kind of experimenting and refining over the last seven or eight years quite a bit is pushing the boundaries of what we can achieve with that gracilis muscle from the leg. So the main innovations have been we've l- learned that we can s- separate the muscle into little slips and still preserve the neurovascular supply to the individual strips of muscle. And we're able to revascularize it and reinnervate it, typically with multiple nerves now instead of a single nerve. And this combination of uh, splitting the nerve into multiple strips, providing it with multiple nerve supplies, has improved our outcomes. We're able to create 
more natural appearing smiles. We're able to restore some movement around the eyes, which a natural smile always has. And so it's been, you know, pretty cool to, to see these patients do better than they did in the past before we started, you know, and it's not just myself, lots of, you know, innovative people around the country and some, some spots in the world have been working on this recent years. What, what makes the gracilis so special? Like, how did you settle on that muscle? Lots of muscles? That's a know. good question, yeah. Paul Bryson. The, uh, there's a lot of muscle, op, you know, options in, in the body. And several have been tried. There's actually some uh, strap muscles, for example, in the neck that have higher percentage of fast twitch fibers. And so in some ways are much more replicative of the facial mimetic muscles. And so the sternohyoid and omohyoid have been used. The challenge there is, is the donor site would require you to make a pretty substantial neck incision. So I think the, the, the attributes that we're looking for are minimal don- donor site morbidity in terms of function, but also cosmesis. And then optionality in terms of effective force transmission to the structures that we're trying to move, the corner of the mouth, the upper lip, the, the eyelids. And so gracilis, turns out it works out. I don't know that it's the perfect, it's definitely not perfect, but it's a great option. And um, rather than seek new muscles, which is something in parallel we're also doing, we've focused on, well, what can we, what more can we get out of this muscle? And it turns out it's, it's got a pretty rich network of neurovascular supply and we're able to, you know, push the envelope more than we realized a few years ago. Yeah, with, without getting too far afield, you know, people will talk about syn- the concept of synkinesis and, and reinnervation that's not productive for function. What's that experience like in the face? It's a huge deal. So there's a big distinction we, we make between flaccid and non-flaccid facial paralysis. And in many ways, flaccid is simpler. You have a patient who may be from a tumor, acoustic neuroma, or a parotid cancer, or a trauma, some cases congenital, they have no function in the face. And by and large for those patients, synkinesis is not a concern, really. The concern for synkinesis arises typically in non-flaccid cases in which most of the which the nerve, facial nerve is anatomically intact. It's been injured, but it's intact. And during the process of regeneration, one of the sequelas, things don't work the way you want them to. There's multiple muscles firing at once or muscles firing that you don't want to fire. And so it's those cases that are actually much more challenging to deal with. Bell's palsy is the classic example. It's a massive group of patients every year who develop Bell's palsy and maybe 10% of them end up with long-term sequelae. That's pretty, pretty frustrating. And much of that frustration in the clinical manifestation is due to synkinesis. All these muscles pulling tightly at the same time and because of that, you're not getting the desired outcome, the, the movement of the eye, the movement of the lips that you want. And so those that's a whole other field in terms of how we're evolving in our management of synkinesis. No, I, I appreciate that. It's it's a problem that we experience in the larynx. And I'm, I'm certain there's other, you know, groups that we would interface with that have, yeah. you know, a similar opportunity to kind of share experience. So in the larynx, do you have synkinesis in which opposing muscles are firing at once and... Yeah, we'll see it with um, the worst example is probably bilateral vocal cord paralysis, mm-hmm. where um, you have the respiratory function of the vocal folds f- to open uh, during breathing. They're not firing appropriately. And there's only one muscle on each side that 
fires for that. And so mm-hmm. you have a stronger adductor compartment that, that closes. And so, mm-hmm. for example, after a thyroidectomy or something like that, you'll get synkinesis and the vocal folds will just rest in the midline in a, not a very great position for breathing. Hmm. And so some of the, you know, reinnervation strategies and, and things like that, you know, sort of the opportunity be, would be to reestablish a respiratory pattern to the Well, are, are you familiar with the selective neurectomy approach in Bell's palsy now? I'm familiar from training, but not uh, it's pretty recent. clinical practice. Yeah, I would need... Yeah, I, I don't know much about that. Well, just to throw, throw out there uh, mm-hmm. in this conversation... As dear listener, it often does when Paul Bryce and I sit together. We, we will veer off into interesting subjects, but that's fun. But in Bell's now, we think that by taking some of the neural supply offline intentionally, we can unlock function. So a big game-changing procedure of the last five years, really, is it really wasn't being used in this manner before, has been to identify n- nerves that are supplying the muscles that are counterproductive to the desired function and, and actually removing them. I don't know if there's an a- analogy in the larynx, but the analogy would be removing some, instead of augmenting function, actually removing some function so that seesaw or tug of war is, is engineered better in the patient's favor. Maybe yeah. it makes no sense. For no, it makes sense. People have not talked about that yet in the larynx. It's always about reestablishing a nerve supply that's more uh, directional or purposeful. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I guess the example would be, would be removing some adductor function. Exactly. And people have not, people have not talked about that. You know, the, in our area, it's more of how can we perhaps use the the phrenic nerve Mm -hmm. um, to have the respiratory function pathway regenerated. Yeah. To augment the abductor. Yes. But then they would try to take the adductors offline by bringing in, you know, perhaps uh, ansa cervicalis to to have tone, Mm -hmm. but, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, to dig out the the recurrent in the scar bed from Mm -hmm. the thyroidectomy is often Mm -hmm. a challenge. So I will definitely take a look at some of that Bell's palsy work. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. So when, you know, I wanted to go back. So when would you, when would you, going back to the gracilis, when would you recommend this procedure versus some, versus other treatment options for facial paralysis? For flaccid paralysis of long-standing duration, it's hard to come about a better option. So in, I would say most patients, kids, senior citizens, you know, it used to be thought that these sort of reanimation techniques didn't so, work so well in senior citizens, but we've shown that that's not true. They, they tend to do quite well. So that's really the, the sweet spot. We, we apply it more broadly. There are absolutely cases with non-flaccid paralysis in which we will use the gracilis. It's just a more complex decision around pros and cons because when a patient has some reasonable symmetry at rest and some movement, then it, it's not always the case that adding a muscle to the face, which invariably causes at least some amount of morphologic change, right? And this is all an aesthetic procedure, so every little detail matters. It doesn't always, that calculus doesn't always work out. You know, that more often we're going to try other measures, maybe selective myectomy or nerve re techniques. And so it's a subset of the non-flaccid paralysis patients we do gracilis on. 
You recently performed one, perhaps the one of the first of these gracilis procedures on a pediatric patient. And, and I encourage everyone to check out our social media or visit our website to read the patient's story. You know, are there any specific considerations or changes to the procedure, you know, in a younger patient or perhaps even an older patient? Yeah, well, I, I think the, the tri-vector uh, is getting a, a lot of attention. The, the specific advantage of the tri-vector, why it's getting some attention in, you know, facial paralysis circles worldwide is because there haven't been described procedures before that do link some contraction of the muscles around the eye with the smile. And so we call that Duchenne smile, which is a natural smile. When when we intentionally smile, not emotionally, but we just force a smile, we can do so quite well, except for one part, which is there's not going to be any contraction of the muscle, the lateral aspect of the muscle surrounding your eye, the orbicularis oculi. You have to sort of learn and intentionally do that, you know, to, to produce a, a, a smile that can be passed off as a natural mimetic smile by someone who knows what they're looking for. Uh, so this trivector, it, it's simply the additional third slip of muscle that is placed underneath the eyelid around the medial part. We call it the medial canthus, attached to the lateral part, the lateral canthus, so that every time this, the, the mouth lifts in a smile, the eyelid contracts a little bit. So it's that crow's feet. You think of when, you know, you think of people smiling, you see their little crow's feet around, wrinkles around the eye. It's, it's amazing how much more, more natural smile looks when that happens than when it doesn't. And so that's why, you know, the tri-vector is different than our previous multi-vector flap, which we described, I think, in 2017 or 18, which is also an advance. So this kid is the first kid to have it, first, yeah, first child to have it done. I've done it now in maybe about 10 patients total. So we're still, you know, learning about this technique. But the results are pretty spectacular. She has a, a pretty extraordinary smile of her mouth, but also, you know, this, she smiles around her eyes. So it's really amazing to see. You know, as you, like you said, you know, we're sort of in the beginning stages of this uh, technique and the refinement of it. You know, what are the next things that, you know, you might be exploring? Yeah, the I feel like in comparison to decades ago, the results we can get now are dramatically better. At the same time, it's still the case that most of these patients don't look normal, right? If, if we're being really honest with our outcomes... They're dramatically improved over their preoperative state. But if they're in a room around others for any length of time, it's probably going to be noticeable to somebody, you know. And I think the future state that we're committed to is, well, how do we, how do we get results that are so amazing that nobody ever tells, right? And, and in some fields, in facial plastic and reconstructive surgery, we, get, we achieve that pretty routinely. A nasal reconstruction would be one where... Our techniques have gotten so good, we can more often than not achieve an outcome that's not detectable by other people, at least not routinely. And so we're going to have to keep developing better techniques. My guess is that the surgical refinements will continue. I'm hopeful we'll solve for eyebrow elevation, for example, which is something we've been working on, and greater spontaneity, more predictability of re-innervation through probably application of some sort of biologics. We're experimenting to that. We're doing a study now on intraoperative uh, electrical stimulation to nerves, which has been shown in animals to enhance regeneration. In terms of prevention, I think that's probably where one of the biggest opportunities lies. We should be able to develop pharmacological interventions that can prevent some of the injury cascade of events that results in synkinesis. 
So we would treat Bell's palsy or other forms of facial nerve injury in early with either an injectable or systemic medication of some sort that can limit the amount of synaptic stripping in the brainstem and aberrant regeneration. I, I feel like there's enormous room for, for improvement in, in our outcomes in this field. I really appreciate you sharing all of this exciting, you know, surgical development and patient outcomes. It's been great. You know, I, I wanted to ask just for the listener, you know, if someone wants to refer a patient to our center for facial reconstruction and uh, other facial nerve disorders, what, what can they expect, you know, in terms of uh, that experience uh, for the referrer and for the patient? And Well, the, the most amazing thing is that here it is 2023 now, and it's, I'm kind of amazed that not a month goes by still, and I was amazed saying this 10 years ago, that we don't meet a patient from somewhere who is seeking help for their facial dysfunction, facial nerve injury, paralysis, be it partial or otherwise, and because they've been told that there's nothing that can be done. All over the country, there are patients with facial paralysis of, of a variety of severities who are being told there's nothing that can be done. That's almost never the case. There's almost always something that can be done that can help you improve at least some, and usually a meaningful amount. And I think that's the most important take on whether you're a physician listening or, you know, if there's uh, the random non-physician listening to our podcast here, you know, just give us a call because we probably can help you get better. Not perfect, but better than you are now, right? And that's meaningful to patients. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. I think what just, you know, a bit of function can do for somebody's quality of life and just the way that you know, they face the world, no pun intended, it can, totally can mean a lot. I totally agree. We've seen it thousands of times that people can regain their confidence, they feel more comfortable in social situations, focus on it less, you know, become a little less obsessive, gain, regain, you know, comfort in, in, in their lives, and, and it improves mood. We've shown that too, actually. So yeah, anything we can do to help, we, we want to be there for people. For more information on facial paralysis, facial nerve disorders, and reconstructive treatments at Cleveland Clinic, please visit clevelandclinic.org slash facial reconstruction. That's clevelandclinic.org slash facial reconstruction. And to speak with a specialist or submit a referral, please call 216-445-9259. That's 216-445-9259. Finally, follow us on Instagram at Cleveland Clinic Facial Plastic Surgery. Dr. Byrne, thanks for joining Head & Neck Innovations. Thanks for listening to Head & Neck Innovations. You can find additional podcast episodes on our website at clevelandclinic.org forward slash podcasts. Or you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic experts in otolaryngology, head and neck surgery on our Consult QD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org forward slash head and neck. Thank you for listening and join us again next time. Music.